Well, good morning, church, or good evening, or wherever, uh, whenever you are. Um, here we are. This is Sunday number three of us not being able to gather together. Um, I want to just begin by reading just a few verses out of first, or actually third John. Uh, third John, this is the Apostle John, and he's writing to a church, to a people that he loves. And listen to what he says. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. And then he, he writes this short letter, and, and listen to how he ends this letter. He says this, I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. And I love that because that's just the heart of a pastor saying, gosh, I just want to be with you. I want to talk to your face. I, I want to be with you. But since I can't right now, I'm going to write with pen and ink. And uh, this is our form of pen and ink, so to speak, technology. I'm recording this on my iPhone in the sanctuary all by myself. It's just me and some angels and the Holy Spirit. Um, and I just, I just want to say to you, church, that I miss you and that I love you. And I wish that we could be together. And I'm longing for that day when we get to do this together. Um, but until then, I'm thankful that we can meet like this, that you can gather in your home um, with yourself, with the Lord, with a family. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bible, uh, open to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be in John chapter 5. And definitely, if you don't have a Bible, pause this, go get a Bible, because um, we're going to be just walking through verse by verse through the first 18 verses, and I really want you to see what's here. So get your Bible. Uh, let's read John 5, verses 1 through 18. Then we will pray and get into the Word of God together. John chapter 5 says this, After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your mat, take your mat, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. Verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. Then they asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. 
sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. I thank you. Reality Carp thanks you for your word. Lord, that in, in times such as these, we have a place that we can go and know truth and hear from the living God through his living word. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make your word alive and active to us. Help us see, give us eyes to see. And Jesus, I just, I, I'm reminded of your words that you, you, you told us, your people in Matthew 6, you said, do not worry about your life and what you will eat and what you will drink and what you will put on. And Lord, right now, many of us are facing worries and anxieties. It may have to do with food. It may have to do with drink. It may have to do with our clothes or our daily needs. But Jesus, you say to us, your heavenly father knows that you need these things. And then you tell us, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all this stuff will be added in. And so right now, Lord, I, I just ask that you would still our anxious thoughts and our anxious hearts and that we would trust you. And right now for these next minutes, as we study your word, we would seek you first and we would seek your kingdom first. And we ask that Jesus, that you would become bigger to our hearts and our minds, that we would, we would not look at the wind and the waves as real as they are. We would not look at our needs and our bills and our mortgages and our rent payments and the stock market and our health and all of those things. But right now we choose to look at you, King Jesus. And we trust that if we seek you and your kingdom, that you really will, you are able to provide for us. And that we are a part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Our citizenship is in heaven. We, we are citizens of another city. And so we just fix our eyes on you now, Lord. Help us to study your word. Help us to hear from you. And Holy Spirit, just glorify and magnify the person of Jesus. Gosh, Lord, we need you. We need you, Jesus. Glorify yourself now to us, your people. And help me, Lord, just to be faithful, to teach your word in this strange setting, in this strange time. And thank you, you are able to use my weakness and all of this, Lord, for your glory. So we trust you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Well, uh, the Lord has brought us through another crazy week. Right now, across the world, there are billions of people in in isolation. There are hundreds of thousands of people who are sick. This is a completely new disease. We've never seen anything like it. This is the third straight week. We can't gather and be strengthened together with 
the people of God. And hear me, if there is one thing that I, that I know that I know God is saying to us, if there's one thing God desires for you in this season, in this crisis, it's this, that you would more deeply long for Jesus, that you would long for more of the person in majesty, in presence, in help, in mercy of Jesus, that, that we would just grow in longing for Jesus. And so in our text this morning, we're, we're going to see four glories of the person of Jesus together. That's, that's what we're going to look at, four glories of the person of Jesus. And I'm just so grateful. Uh, when, when the pastors and staff were praying last summer about what book of the Bible to study, you know, we were throwing out different ideas and we had a feeling that the church was heading into a season of transition. And we just felt led by the Lord to, to study the gospel of John because the gospel of John is all about the person of Jesus and the glory and majesty of Jesus. And we said, do you know, if everything else is crazy, at least once a week, we'll get together and just look at the person of Jesus. And we had no idea like what was going to come. But here we are in this world. And listen, there is no better place to go than to look at the person of Jesus. And so let's do that together. Let's look again at uh, verse one as we um, are going to see these four glories of Jesus. Verse one, let's read that again. It says this, after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now pause there. Three times a year, there were these feasts in Jerusalem where all the men, the Jewish men were required to go up to Jerusalem and celebrate together. This is one of those feasts. And it's just worth noticing that, that Jesus was a perfect Jew, that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. Everything that was required of him, he perfectly did. And so he's being obedient as a Jewish man. He's going up to Jerusalem for this feast. And then verse two says this. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And main thing I just want us to notice here is this is so detailed. This is, this is how, one of the ways we just see that this came from an eyewitness. This is the Apostle John writing, saying, hey, it was like by that cry, it was, it was, he was like saying, I can still remember. It was like, it was like at Palm and Six, under that one patio uh, where the pools were. He's just giving us these exact historic details. He's saying, this really happened in history. It, it happened there. And then, then look what he, he goes on to say in right in verse three. In these, like underneath that area, lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Here we have just a sad picture that, that is truly a, a, represent, a representative picture of humanity. Like this scene with people just beaten up and laying there helpless is a, is a picture of humanity. You know, if, if we think about what we learned in John chapter three, we saw Jesus having a conversation with a religious man, the, the religious teacher. And, and what we saw in John three was, was a picture of the 
like a representative picture of religious pride and what religiously proud people need to know. Hey, it doesn't matter what you do, you need to be born again. And then in John chapter four, we see Jesus talking with the woman at the well. And this was a desperate woman. She was a social outcast. She was a sinner. And, and it was as if Jesus was saying to all humanity, look at your thirst in your soul that you long to be satisfied. You're going to sin after sin after sin, but I can give you living water. And then in John chapter five, here is a picture of just humanity in its need in its brokenness, in its sickness, with all the effects of viruses and illness and disease. That is the picture we are getting in John 5. Look at humanity in this desperate place. Now, before we move on, you may notice there's no verse 4. And that's because you you likely have a little footnote there. And and the second half of verse 3 and verse 4 are not scripture. They're not in the original manuscripts. They were likely added um, later by a scribe in the margin saying, explaining this was the superstition of the time. And, and in the earliest manuscripts, it's not there. And in later manuscripts, it's in the margins. And so in Bible translations, they, they keep it because it had been there for some time, but they just let you know, hey, this isn't scripture. This was like a historical note that a scribe wrote, but I'll just read it for context. This is what it says in the footnote. It says, some manuscripts insert wholly or in part. And it says, the people were waiting for the moving of water For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. And whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. Now, again, that's not in the original manuscripts. In that that those two verses, there's over six phrases and words that aren't even found in John. Like there's no question that it's not scripture, but it's, it's like a historical footnote to what was going on in all these people's minds, why they were sitting at that pool. There was this superstition that when the water stirred and it was likely a well, maybe an artesian well or a mineral well, and like every once in a while, water and bubbles would come up. And so they thought, okay, whoever got in first, it was being stirred by an angel. And if you got in first, you would be healed. And so it attracted all of these sick people and they would wait there for the water to stir. And so that is the context of this man sitting there. Now let's read verses five and six, and and we're going to come to our first point, our first glory, our first truth about Jesus. So let's read five and six. It says this. One man who was there, who had been an invalid for 38 years, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And here's the first glorious truth about Jesus. I want us to notice the sympathy of Jesus. I want us to notice the sympathy of our King Jesus. I love those two words in verse six. It says, Jesus saw him and Jesus knew. Jesus saw and he knew. This reminds me, this is one of my favorite verses back in the book of Exodus. And it's right at the beginning um, where it's talking about the people of Israel were enslaved for 400 years and they were groaning and crying out to be delivered by God. And in Exodus chapter 2, verse 25, this is how that chapter ends. It says this, God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God saw and God 
new. Our God deeply sympathizes with us in our sorrow, in our suffering, in our disease, and in our pain. And and I just want you to hear this. Please look at your screen and hear me say this. Jesus sees you and he knows you. He sees your concerns and your anxieties and your worries and he knows. He sees you and he knows and he cares for you. He doesn't just overlook you. Listen, every other so-called God Every other idol fashioned by man is blind. It cannot see. There is nothing else in the universe that can see every molecule, every heart, every emotion, every circumstance for all time. Only one person can do that. That is our God. That is Jesus. And every other so-called idol, every so-called thing you will give your life to can't really know the depths of your soul. Not even a best friend or a spouse can truly know the way God knows what's going on in your life and in your heart. Our God is alive and he is so great that right now through the time warp that's happening as I'm recording this and hours later you're listening to this and what's going on, he sees what's going on right now in your life. He knows every detail, every hair of your head. There is not a sparrow that has fallen in the woods from the beginning of history that he didn't know about. Our God is alive and he sees and he knows. And I just want to say this, what's even more incredible than the fact that he sees and knows everything, hear me, Jesus came to do something about it. He came to do something about all the brokenness that we are currently experiencing. And so let's keep reading to see the next glorious truth. First, we see the sympathy of Jesus. And and now, now I want us to keep reading to see this. Let's read verses nine or seven to nine together. Chapter five, verse seven to nine says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Here I want us to see this. We see the sovereign grace of Jesus we see the sovereign grace of Jesus. Listen, this man is utterly helpless. He says, sir, I have no one. This man is utterly hopeless. He's superstitious. He's, he's, He thinks his only hope is to get into this water when it mysteriously stirs up. This man is utterly ignorant of Jesus, his identity, even later in the story, he doesn't even know who it was who healed him. Hear me. If ever salvation, if ever healing, if ever a miracle was because of works, if it was ever because you had someone had enough faith, if it was ever because of learning new truth or secret knowledge, this man would have no hope at all. He's helpless, hopeless, superstitious, ignorant, But Jesus does not wait for this man (coughs) 
to get his act together. Did you know that the grace of God does not depend upon how hard you try or how much you clean up your act? Did you know that his merciful healing power does not depend on having enough faith? This man had no faith. He was superstitious. He didn't even know who Jesus was. Did you know that the only thing that has ever moved the hand of God is his sovereign grace? God loves us because he loves us, because he is good. God doesn't show mercy and grace because anyone deserved it or had enough faith or else it wouldn't be grace in the first place. Hear me, your faith is not a work that then makes God like have to do something. Even your faith is a gift from God. Faith is a merciful act, a merciful gift the sovereign God gives us by grace. And and I want us to think about those two words, sovereign grace. God's grace is sovereign because listen, he's not, he wasn't limited to healing that man by getting him in the water first. He wasn't limited by this man's inability or this man's ignorance. Jesus simply speaks a word and he is healed. He is that sovereign. He just says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And it says instantly, at once, this man was healed. 38 years of suffering over in a moment. There is nothing our sovereign King Jesus cannot do. And not only is his grace sovereign, it's sovereign grace. This man didn't even, he didn't earn it. He didn't deserve it. He didn't even ask for it. He didn't go and find Jesus. Jesus walked up to him and just spoke a word and healed him. Jesus showed grace to this man because that's just who Jesus is a gracious savior, a gracious healer. Now I want to say something, um, and this is, this is different than what you will hear from some false teachers. If Jesus isn't healing you, it is not because you don't have enough faith. It is not because you didn't work hard enough or do something enough to move the hand of God. It's not because you didn't send in that check to that TV preacher. God's grace is sovereign grace. And he sovereignly gives and he sovereignly takes away. He sovereignly healed this man at the pool and we don't see any record of him healing the rest of the pool. God's grace is sovereign grace. He is the sovereign one. It is up to him if someone is healed or not healed. And you can certainly keep asking and keep praying and keep having faith. He is able, of course he is able, but it is never dependent upon us. It is grace, it is mercy. God never heals someone because they deserved it. He gives and he takes away. And so we've seen the sympathy of Jesus. We've seen the sovereign grace of Jesus. Now let's read uh, the second half of verse verse nine all the way down to verse 15, okay? Second half of verse nine down to 15. It says, now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews 
said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, I want to notice the, us, us to notice the third aspect of Jesus. We've seen the sympathy of Jesus. We've seen the sovereign grace of Jesus. Now I want us to see that Jesus has great concern for our souls. He has great concern for our souls. Listen, there is something worse than a sick body. It's a sick soul, a soul in sin. And though Jesus shows great sympathy and great mercy to this man, Jesus loves this man even, even more than just making his body well. Jesus is concerned about his soul. He says, sin no more. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. We see uh, from the Bible that some sickness is actually a result of sin and some sickness is not a direct result of your personal sin. And it's not entirely clear if Jesus is is linking this man's sin with his sickness or or if if he's just, either way, what Jesus is saying is he's calling this man out of his present sin. He's saying, hey, you need to sin no more right now, today. You need to stop sinning. You need to repent because I don't want something worse to happen to you than than being physically ill. And what Jesus is implying here is that if this man continues in his sin, his soul would perish for eternity in hell. Jesus confirms and, and teaches about eternal punishment more than any other Bible teacher. And it is because Jesus loves this man and loves all people that he calls everyone, repent of your sin. Don't keep going on sinning. I came to die for your sin, to take away your sin, to forgive you of your sin. Repent of your sin, Jesus says, sin no more. Because if you go on sinning, you will perish in a far more severe way than just physical sickness. And I just have to ask you right now, are you in unrepentant sin? Is there hidden sin in your life? Repent, confess your sin. Hear the words of Jesus to you. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you for all eternity. Sin is not worth it. Sin no more, Jesus says to you this morning, this afternoon, this evening. Confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Cry out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And if you're a Christian and you've been walking with God for many years, we are to repent. This is in the, when Jesus taught us how to pray, there's a reason why he includes forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. This is something we are to pray every day. 
Lord, forgive me my sin. In fact, as we see in, in, in the example of the Apostle Paul, the more mature we get in Christ, the older we get in Christ, we begin to see even more our sin, to see even more, man, I am so in need of Jesus. That It was towards the end of Paul's life, he said, I am the chief of sinners. The Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus face to face, who wrote the majority of the New Testament, said at the end of his life, I'm the chief of sinners. If Paul could say that, then surely we, the most mature Christian among us, surely we can repent of our sin and confess our sin and declare our need for Jesus. So would we all this morning, no matter who we are, hear Jesus say to us, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus cares about souls He cares about souls, so he calls us out of sin into the light. And so we see that Jesus cares for souls. Now, we're going to read the last uh, three verses of our text, verses 16, 17, 18. And I just want you to know that these three verses are actually the key to this whole story. They're the key to understanding why John included this story in his gospel. Remember, he says there is, he, Jesus did so many things, all the books couldn't even, in the whole world couldn't um, contain them. But I, I just wrote a few so that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And in believing, you would have life. And, and so in these three verses, John is connecting this story with that greater purpose of his book. So let's read verses 16, 17, and 18. It says this. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now again, the purpose of the gospel of John, the purpose of these signs, these healing, these miracles, was so that people would see that Jesus is the Son of God and believe. Now, the story of John's gospel is one of mounting hostility against Jesus by his own people. The story from the beginning of John to the end is Jesus is rejected by the Jews. Though John wrote that we would believe, the story is one of people not believing, but rejecting Jesus. As Jesus displays his glory, as he heals people, as he says, I am the son of God, what happens is his own people The vast majority do not believe in him, but actually reject him and kill him on a cross. Now, these three verses tell us this is why the Jews rejected Jesus. This very miracle, and and I'll just put it this way. They were rejecting Jesus for two reasons. Number one, he was breaking their man-made commandments. And number two, he was claiming to be God. 
He was rejecting their commandments, their man-made commandments, and he was claiming to be God. And so though Jesus is doing miracle after miracle and displaying his glory, they reject him. And that's what verses 16 to 18 summarize. And what the the point we can take away about Jesus is this. What, What we need to notice is the fourth point in our text is this. We need to notice the supremacy of Jesus. Because the Jews saw the supremacy of Jesus, the glory of Jesus on display. And, and that's when they rejected him. Listen, they, they didn't just reject him because he was some nobody. They rejected him as they saw his glory, as they saw his supremacy, as he refused to submit to their man-made laws, as he began to claim, I am the son of God before Abraham was, I am, as he's identifying himself with God as he's displaying his supreme glory and majesty, they reject him. And so the the key for us is as we see the glory of Jesus, will we reject him like these Jews or will we worship him as we see the supremacy and the glory of Jesus? And I just want us to notice a few things in these verses to, to draw this out. We see first that Jesus was intentionally breaking their Sabbath traditions. Now, we know this. Jesus was a faithful Jew. He obeyed faithfully every commandment in the Bible. But the Jews added all these um, extra rules and laws to the law of God. And so the commandment, you know, honor the Sabbath, they had 39 additional rules added on to protect the Sabbath. And so the 39th rule was you are not allowed to pick up an object on the Sabbath and carry it from one place to another. Now that was their rule. It was not God's rule. And think about this. Jesus intentionally healed this man and told him, hey, pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath. And what Jesus was intentionally doing here was saying, I am supreme, I am Lord, I will not submit to these man-made rules and regulations, I am God. And I'm not gonna submit to this false commandment. He intentionally is displaying his supremacy to them and saying, I will not submit. And then notice even one more thing, because because later the Jews come up to him and they say, how dare you do this? How dare you tell this man to carry his mat? How dare you heal on our Sabbath? Now, listen, Jesus could have said many things. He could have said, hey, it's actually not in the Bible to not carry something. It's actually, um, the second thing he could have said was, do you know what? It's actually, and he said this other times, it's, it's not wrong to do good on the Sabbath. He could have defended himself, but do you know what he says? Look what he says in verse 17. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, do you know who else is working on the Sabbath? Yahweh. And he's my father. And the same way Yahweh, who is Lord of the universe, is still sustaining the universe today, You should be thankful Yahweh is working today in the same way he's working, I'm working because he's my father. And as verse 18 says, they realize what he's saying. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I love 
the boldness of Jesus saying, do you know who I am? Yeah, I'm, I'm not just going to not submit to your laws and rules. And I'm not even breaking your rules. But what he says is, I'm God. I am the Lord of the universe. And it was that type of boldness and resistance to this false religion that ultimately got him killed. That is why he was rejected by the Jews. And so I want to close by saying that you have a choice before you. Will you reject Jesus and his claims to be the God of the universe? Or will you do the only other thing that's left to do and worship him and submit your life to him? This truth that Jesus is supreme, that he is the glorious one, that he is God, is either the worst news in the world to you or it's the best news. And if you will repent of your sin and trust in him, it is very good news. Do you know why it's good news that Jesus is supreme and Lord of the universe? Because that means that the God of the universe is your refuge, that Jesus is your hope. That means that Jesus is a rock that cannot be moved in this time. It means he is your rock in your hiding place. If you worship him, if you worship Jesus, it means that you will be sustained by him. It means that he will care for you. It means he sees your needs. He sees your cares. He sees your anxieties. And, and not only that, he died on the cross and he rose again and he is coming again for his people to make all things new, to make a new earth, give us new bodies with no more sin or sickness or Satan, no more disease, no more anxiety. That day is coming for you if you will worship and trust and walk with King Jesus. So Jesus we know that you are the supreme one, that there is no one like you. We know that you are concerned for our souls, that you don't wanna just temporarily fix things. You want to address our deep needs, our deep sickness that is sin so that we can be saved and be reconciled with you. Jesus, we know that you are so full of sympathy for those who are hurting right now and those who are concerned, for those hearing this message and for those who haven't yet even heard about you. And Jesus, we know that you are able to save. You are still able to save. Your grace is sovereign grace. And there are more that you wanna save. Even today, even through this crazy crisis that we're living through. So King Jesus, we ask that you would become Lord of our life, that you would be our King, that we would submit ourselves to you and trust you. In this crazy season, would you become bigger to us? Would we fix our eyes daily, Lord, on you and your majesty, on your glory, and not on the wind and the waves? If you were able to care for your people for all of these years, if you, were to, if you were able to care for Abraham, care for Moses and your people, if you were able to care for David, if you were able to care for your people in exile, if you were able to come, Jesus, and redeem your people, and if you've been sustaining your church for 2,000 years, we trust that you are still God 
on your throne and you are able to care for us. So Holy Spirit, make Jesus bigger to us in this season. Give us faith. Sustain us now. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.